Hey guys, welcome back to AV Side Podcast. We're on episode 20. Episode 20. Yes, we are on episode 20, Ben. Anyhow, how are you, Ben? I'm good, Ansi. I'm good. We're back in our individual houses because of the Birmingham lockdown. Oh yeah, Birmingham lockdown. So we're all at we're both in our individual houses and um, we're back to recording remotely. No facial body language stuff to read upon. Just pure audio goodness. Anyhow, Ben. Yeah. What's happening today? What's happening today? Well, because we are online, we, it means we can include people who are not just in our local vicinity. So we have a special guest. <gasps> we do? Yeah. Who are you? Please speak up. Hi. Hi, your voice sounds really familiar. This is because I'm a very famous podcaster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you may have heard me on air. Yeah. Anyway, hi, everyone. I'm Jessie. Hi, Jessie. Jessie Tang. Jessie Tang. Good to have you on our show. Hello, Ansi. Hello, Ben. Hey. Thanks for inviting me to be on your show. It's our pleasure. We, we love to invite members of the podcasting community to, <laughs> to join us. This is amazing. I'm so glad that you joined us here today. In case you don't know who Jessie is, you might have, you might recognize her from previous years when she used to be in Birmingham. Used to study here, right? In Birmingham? Yeah. So I studied at the University of Birmingham between 2011 and 2014 is when I graduated. So I was part of BCC. And then what have you been doing since then? So since, so I did music at Birmingham Uni. And since then, I've done lots of random things, lots of different types of jobs. Mainly, I've been uh, running my teaching practice, teaching piano, theory and guitar, uh, privately and in some schools in the Watford area. So I moved back to Watford. And I also studied ethnomusicology. So I did a master's in ethnomusicology at SOAS, University of London. Wow. Ethno what? Ethnomusicology. Musicology. <laughs> what, what is that? It's a long That's word. a long word, yeah. Very long. One, two, three, four, five, six. Is it seven syllables? Ethnomusicology. Yeah, seven. That could be in a haiku. Maybe we can challenge one of our listeners to write a haiku about ethnomusicology. <laughs> yes, please. Um, anyway, yeah, so ethnomusicology is the study of people and music. So if you take ology, ology is like the study of, and the music obviously is there, and the ethno, ethnic talks about people and cultures. So in a nutshell, yeah, it's a study of music, people and cultures. Um, so at uni, some some of our course looked like maybe talking about music and politics or music and religion, music in development. And some people would also like hone in on a particular region as well. So they might have a focus of like East Asia or West Africa, something like that. And then we can also do performance. So I studied Arabic instrument whilst I was there. Oh, cool. What was that? So the Arabic instrument is a zither. Um, it's called the canoon. What? So it could be, every time I say it, people say canoe, canoe. How do you spell that so we uh, can Google it? Q or K, Q-A-N-U-N or K-A-N-U-N. Wow. That's a canoon. good scrabble word. 
<laughs> what does it look like? Oh, what does it sound like? It has many, many strings. You put it on your lap, and then you have to wear these special、um, plectrums on your fingers. It sounds very Arabic. <laughs> and you pick that up? How? So I, I had a teacher、um, as part of my module for performance. So I learnt it, and then had to do a recital at the end of the year. Yeah, it was really great fun. Really good. Can we hear a clip? Really? Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's Jesse playing the canoe. Wow! Thanks, Jesse. That was great. Thank you so much. So, music—you've always been involved in the music field. I have. Like, why? Why? I'll tell you something really interesting. I, I studied piano, like many Chinese kids do, at the age of six, and it was something that almost like a bit of a chore.、Um, I just did it, yeah, because I had to do it as a child. But then, really funny, when around the time that I became a Christian was when I actually. Grew in my passion for music, so I actually enjoyed playing music around the age of fourteen when I became a Christian, and then I picked up guitar as well. So it's always been something that、um, is a passion of mine, and I love playing it, and I love how you can play with other people. I, I like the social element of playing music as well, and I love learning new instruments. It's like a new challenge, and it's really fun. And then after I get the basics. Then I get bored, and then I learn another instrument. How many instruments can you actually play, or do you own? I'm looking around my room.、Um, yeah, I play quite a few instruments.、Um, probably more than five. I can't count at the moment. Yeah. So, do you think do you think your interest in music came about because of? Like worship music, then when you started enjoying playing it when you were a teenager.、Mm, that's a good question. I think、uh, one of the first churches I visited as a non-Christian was Soul Survivor Church in Watford,、um, and actually I was really drawn into the worship time with the live band and everything like that. It was so surprising for me, and definitely from then on, my sister and my mum would play contemporary Christian music around the house. Um, and that's one of the ways that I learnt more about Christ is through worship music. So yeah, it's definitely something special about that for me. That's, it's interesting though because I've been thinking about like contemporary Christian music fairly recently, maybe for the past past year, and it's not always very musically、uh, interesting, right? <laughs> like you can play most of it with four、mm. chords. Yeah, sometimes three. Yeah, right.、Uh, do you think that? Do you think that's a, a bad reflection on our on the current state of like how how the churching uses music? I feel like there's a lot more that we could use, but we don't because we want to just go for those like soft soft rock anthem songs and sing on repeat. Yeah, 
Why do you think? Why do you think it's based on this kind of soft rock anthem? I mean, part of it is just it's a reflection of pop music, right? Yeah, current trends. Yeah, but when I listen to pop music on the radio, I'm often like, "This is awful. Like, this is not like it doesn't do anything for me at all. In any like." doesn't change my emotions doesn't make me think or whatever and at least we have hopefully good lyrical content uh in our worship songs hmm. but yeah there's also that element of you want the you want to sing songs that that allow people to express something i think and and, and soft rock can be that opportunity for like oh we're all singing something loudly together but it's not the only thing that you can, the only emotion that you can express through music. Yeah, I definitely think singability is um, something that's quite key. So soft rock or pop rock. I actually don't know what the genre is called. Yeah. Coldplay. It's Coldplay-esque. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> that lends itself really well to um, congregations being able to sing because congregations are not all going to be really musical right mm. so it's more accessible for them and i think this kind of contemporary christian music it came out of the jesus movement uh in america i think it's 1970s but i'm not sure um if you're interested there is an academic called monique ingalls who writes a lot about contemporary christian music and worshiping congregations yeah but i know there are other people doing christian music in different styles as well but for some reason churches don't really sing that type why not is it just because just because of the context and the culture is very specific so in a white majority church they wouldn't want to venture into something completely random possibly possibly music from other cultures worship music from other cultures do you think that's similarly like a shallow reflection of the the wealth of other um other music like if you're showing western music to someone that's never heard western music before you're not only going to play them worship music right do you think that's the case with with other cultures or do you think they use other other christian what am i trying to say other christian cultures use do they use their music in worship to a greater depth than we do so if we talk about the Western context, we might predominantly use contemporary Christian music yeah. or contemporary Christian worship, you can call it, in the churches. But what about other cultures? Do they also employ, for example, more of their traditional styles? Yeah. Um, from my experience, a lot of other cultures would tend to use contemporary Christian worship style. And I think part of that is because of the... Um, enormity that's not a good word <laughs> um probably because of part of that is because of um people like hillsong and bethel being really popular mm. around the world and that is deemed as maybe even fashionable but anything that is linked to the west anything that is linked to modernity is something that other people would asp aspire to so therefore you know if Christianity has its roots in the West, which it doesn't, but because of all the uh, Western missionary work in the past, people are used to doing church in the way that they learnt through missionaries. Mm. 
And so those missionaries probably brought over their hymns. But then now, in the West, people are singing Hillsong. So it's, it seems like it will follow the same kind of model if you just take those songs, sing it as it is, or translate it. So in my experience, I've seen most churches, well, I don't know, I can't say for everyone, but a lot of churches, especially in urban areas, would take Hillsong Bethel, sing it in English and translate it. Yeah. Um, that's not to say there's not any indigenous styles, but it's much harder to find. Um, and some people who, that's, that's why people do songwriting workshops, actually, um, in more remote areas. Songwriting workshops. Mm. So have you been part of that? Yeah, so I have been part of one songwriting workshop in Uganda. Wow. So I went with missionary organization and we were working with the local Christians there to get them to write their own worship songs using their own language and musical style. Yeah, and it's really interesting because they weren't even used to doing Bible studies in the way that we do them. Wow. So... How do they do I it? I don't know how they study the Bible, actually. They probably rely a lot on sermons and worship music. But we would lead them in Bible studies and then from there say, okay, let's focus on this passage of scripture and then split up into small groups and then they would just sing some things out and... And then we record them after and then they've got that to use in future for their churches rather than just singing Hillsong. Mm, yeah. That sounds really good, actually. I Because you're really contextualizing cool. the worship mm. to fit with their culture and I guess that helps them spiritually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you were saying earlier about like how we learn, how we can learn theology from... Um, from our worship music and i think i think we all do that and we were talking about this last week um and we were having this discussion about you know actually some of the famous um worship churches like the produce that produce a lot of the worship music that we sing may not have the best theology as churches or maybe even <laughs> be saying things that is not the not the correct gospel and we were kind of mm. asking this question last week of like well what do we do about that if we have a good song a song that we enjoy singing should we still keep singing it if it's from a place that is um that has questions about the theology coming from their from their teaching are you talking about bethel? i'm talking about bethel <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's just name it yeah <laughs> I only really heard about that recently, actually, about the questionable theology of Bethel. Um, I think for me, I didn't listen to your episode, but would I think the question is, does that kind of wrong theology filter into the music that they produce? Mm. Because if you think about it, their music, it it's comprised of, you know, the lyrics, which is where the theology is communicated. But... Strip that aside, if it's just music only, instrumental, it sounds really nice to the ears, doesn't it? It makes you feel really tingly inside. And I guess that is just the Western trend of what is considered good, good feels, good vibes. That's really interesting, actually. Like, it's about your feelings, not about the, the facts, right? Which is, which is modern society or postmodern society, right? 
It's how you feel, not... It stirs up some form of emotion, because I guess music is quite emotive, yeah. right? Yeah, I think different people will connect to God in different ways. So for some, some people, the lyrics of the song are much more important, which I, I think it is for me. Because if you're listening to the music, I mean, are you praying at the same time? Like, is the music edifying to you? Are you praying at the same time? Are you, like, soaking um, in the presence of God? Or are you just, like, doing something random and one ear is open listening to the music? Like, do you, would you still get the same kind of feelings if your mind and your heart is not there? So coming from a Chinese background, Jesse. Oh, yes. Do you Chinese feel like Christian. Chinese Chinese worship, Chinese worship tugs on your own heartstrings then? I think with if you're talking about tugging on heartstrings, I think we're going to the realm of talking about heart music and what heart is somebody's music. heart music. Have you heard of that before? No, tell me more. I believe it's coined by someone actually <laughs> I should actually look this up, but I, th- I believe it's coined by someone called Mary Beth Salman, who is, is a arts in trauma healing specialist. And heart music is the type of music that you hear and you love during your formative years. Wow. Um, so I, I, I will read you a quote, actually. It might be coined by these two people, but Dr. Shrag and Dr. Neely wrote these wrote this the musical system that a person learns as a child or youth that most fully expresses his or her emotions so that's what heart music is someone else uh, Mary Beth Salmon wrote the music that people listen to usually between 16 and 18 years of age became the music they enjoyed preferred found relaxing and heart familiar which produced a physical relaxation response so are you saying that it affects it affects you later on in life then? So because it came about during your formative years? Yeah, I think so. So for me, I think my heart music is 90s, noughties pop. <laughs> and I, if you hear this kind of music now, I'll think about school discos and everything. Like I just know the lyrics, even though back then I didn't know what the lyrics mean. But it, it brings back, like, it's nostalgic, brings back all these emotions, and I can unwind to it. It's the type of music I would unwind to. That explains why my mother really likes listening to old music. <laughs> and that explains why the teenagers that I work with don't understand me, because I'm still thinking about Britney Spears songs. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Even though culture's changed now, yeah. people don't listen to Britney Spears songs. True, well, true, actually, true. some people might. And some people actually say, Anzi, you're stuck in the 90s. Yeah, I admit that too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Late 90s. Early noughties. S Club 7. Yay. Yeah, so why are we talking about heart music again? Uh, Chinese I, I Chinese worship style. Oh yes, does Chinese worship style tie on my hug strings? Hug, <laughs> Tug, hug. heart strings. <laughs> yeah. So, interestingly, I think Chinese worship is based on mando pop. Oh, you're right. If you actually, to Chinese worship now it just sounds Western, but they have they just play more piano. <laughs> but I've noticed how, like, you know how 
Certain songs they end a certain way. Chinese songs they have certain same cadences and they repeat three <laughs> times. Like oh yes, that is really to me that forms that really makes the Chinese song a truly Chinese worship song. Do you know what I mean? Repeats the last line of the chorus. Yeah, yeah, and then they slow down. Yeah, yes, hold the I note do that too. at the end. Like <laughs> that, that doesn't happen in a in a like a <laughs> a Western style contemporary worship. Isn't that because it's we see that as cheesy because it's because <laughs> that what that communicates to me when I hear that is that it's like some some power ballad from the eighties, <laughs> like and that's what it sounds like, mm, which is probably what Mando pop is yeah that power ballad style and it's just stagnant <laughs> <Stay> yeah <there. laughs> yeah well i guess i guess like that that uh i don't know what the word is like trope or like character musical characteristic is is one that appeals to people's nostalgia i guess mm, i guess so because mm. i'm asking this jesse because um because you're chinese but then at the same time, you and I are both hybrids. We're both BBCs, born, British-born Chinese. Yeah. We're, we've got a dual culture. But I just wondered if the Chinese worship ever, like, hit you. Has it? Mm, not that I'm aware of, to be honest. Because there are times when it does hit me. And I guess it's usually when I can understand the lyrics. Like, I recognise the Chinese characters. And I'm singing it and I mean it and the and the tune is great and you know, even though it's got all the feels of, you know, the, the Mando eighties ballad pop type feel, but yet something tugs at me and before you know it, I'm looking around and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm worshipping with the rest of the Chinese people and uh and then I get really emotional. <laughs> mm. No? Never why happened do, why to do you? you think that is? Why do you think I dunno. Again, nostalgic, maybe because spent time abroad overseas missions people group could be that yeah but mm, but i just think that. it's really interesting that for some people it does affect them more yeah i wonder if it's something to do with like that part of your identity and be actually being able to worship in chinese and being able to come together corporately with aunties and uncles for example mm, yeah and uh, it's something yeah, it's probably something deeper to do with the bicultural identity. Because then, then I wonder if it's that if that's translatable to other cultures. So when you, Jesse, when you worshipped in Uganda or um, other places that you've been to, mm-hmm. have you had those tugs where you know they're worshipping in their um, local language, that style, etc.? And are you still able to grasp? and experience God in the same way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that even though it's not my heart language, you can mm. say, it's not my preferred style, but seeing other people worship and seeing other people connect to God in their own way would also propel me to worship God. I, th- I think that's one of the great things about being a worship leader and actually leading a congregation because the way that they respond would also spur me on in my worship. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, which is one of the difficulties, I think, with doing church online. So 
having to stream live, but then you don't actually hear any feedback or hear any singing or even because we're doing our church on YouTube, you don't even see your congregation members at all. Mm. Yeah. So it's really strange, the kind of melding of the public and the private spheres. Mm. I liked how you said that melding. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, like it's it's really hard i feel like it's just so easy to be passive now um in your consumption of church as a as a member of the congregation right when it's all online because nobody you're not you are not seeing other people's reactions uh in Mm. worship or in any of the service and so i you know it's yeah it's it's difficult i think that leading worship in this time is something that's different to leading worship in in regular times and i think we need to find something some different way of doing it because i don't know if what we're doing right now which is just recording videos is necessarily leading the congregation more than just being like here's a song that i sang Mm, good point so what should worship during lockdown actually look like then uh you mean sung worship corporate worship well, yeah, I don't know. I think it could it could be that, but it could it could be something that doesn't involve music. <laughs> you invite Jesse, who's like one yeah, of the yeah, music yeah, experts, yeah. onto the That's show, true. and yet you're like, maybe we don't need to even consider music anymore. What, Ben? Yeah, tell me more, Ben. Well, be know, I don't. I don't have an an answer to that. Um, it's, you know, I've been thinking about when, when some churches are opening back up, right? And they're having services where the congregation isn't allowed to sing. Mm. But it feels like music is inherently corporate. You know, you can do it in the privacy of your own home, but that's a different act and it's a different thing to when you're doing it in public. Yeah, that's true. So, so when we can't, when, when the congregation can't sing along, is there a way around that? Like, can we can we reach some other other way of 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 worshiping, of praising? You know, I think that it really comes down to the individual's heart and what does church mean to them? What does worship mean to them? Because it's so easy in this online time to just like have your church service in the background and then you're still like playing on your phone or you're still doing your housework and multitask during church. But are you going to say to yourself, okay, I'm actually going to set aside this time like I would have if I traveled to church and spent an hour and a half of my time there. You know, Mm. I've got so many other hours in the day to do my housework, for example. You know, am I actually going to set aside and give respect to God in this way? Um, And I would hope, actually, I would hope that the congregation would actually choose to worship God with their all in a sense Mm. that actually no one else can see them. So why not take this opportunity to to kneel down on the ground or to raise both hands as high as you want? You know, no one can see you. And it's actually such a beautiful thing if you are able to do that in the private and then when we do come back together, then the, the things that you've learned and the things that you've experienced, you can actually bring that into the corporate. Wow. That is so true. But isn't it a bit awkward to be um, doing that with your family members? 
I don't know. I mean, I do church by myself because my family members don't join in with my church. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's up to up to individual families. I will say though, I did do church once with someone else from my small group um, when they relaxed the regulations, and it was really awkward actually to be singing. Yeah, I agree because because I I also experienced that at the start when I had a support bubble and um, actually it wasn't super awkward. I think I really enjoyed it. I I just bawled. I I was really teary because I was so used to singing by myself. It was just my voice and and someone else's voice on the screen um, through the speaker. And to me, it's kind of like um like a duet type feel but it changed as soon as you know the feedback was maybe we should have more voices on the screen um and so when i finally had a support bubble it was just nice to harmonize with other human beings yes and it was nice to have you know that rapport going on but and and again it's really different when you go on zoom when you can see other people worship yes yes so even doing even doing it on Zoom, you can't hear other people worship, but you can see other people. And I think that's actually a really good thing. So I, my friend and I um, started doing online worship nights. Well, we only did two because she, she said, oh, I really miss corporate worship. So I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I need worship online. Why don't we do something in a small group? So we actually did it twice on Google Meets and people mute themselves, obviously, because of the feedback. But then you can see each other, and that that's really good as well. You get that corporate feel. You get that um, that kind of mutual edification. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I thought about doing a karaoke night. This was at the start of lockdown because we had Aww. to cancel our girl life group karaoke session, and I tried to explore it, but it's the same as worship actually it's really hard to just sing together it would have just been here's a youtube play um playlist and with lyrics karaoke type style and you just sing by yourself but yet still see each other to me that 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 takes away the karaoke vibe yeah you know what can you do <laughs> i think i think it's better to have that kind of event even if you can't hear each other because you're still socializing so it's trying to make do with what we've got yeah exactly so with it being lockdown still do you consider worship or general music to be restorative and healing for us in this season do you think more than before Because like you said earlier, music, what was it? Your heart, your heart song, and it can be quite therapeutic, right? Heart music, yeah. Your heart music. Um, do you think in this season, people have been engaging more with music? Mm, yeah, probably. And yeah, I think people, um, people's relationship with music di differs. So some people would listen to music all the time and they... They relax with music. Um, they find music healing, maybe. Um, they can really process things and reflect using music. But other people don't really use it as much anyway. 
for me, I don't think my music consumption has increased. Um, I don't really listen to music much, actually. Do you? you oh. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I thought you would. I listen to podcasts like yours, <laughs> like this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for the advertising. Um, uh, no, so you're okay with silence then? Is that what you're saying? For the most part, I'm okay with silence, unless I'm home alone for a long amount of time and then I might want some more background noise. But, I yeah, I tend to do work in silence. I will get distracted. Are you playing music, more or less, in lockdown? About the same. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like I, yeah. I've hardly touched my guitar. Like, I want to, but then... I don't know. It's probably just being in the same environment all the time. Um, and you're not going to church to, to do worship? Yeah, obviously, yeah. So I just feel like there's, yeah, I don't know. It just, uh, it's not, um, I guess maybe I have nothing to say because life is just so, so monotonous, right? Um, I have nothing to, to express. Maybe. Wow. You mean you express... Uh, via playing guitar yeah perhaps i'm just like mm. you're just not creative now nothing's changed yeah no muse yeah yeah there's there's i can't find a muse and yeah i'm just not inspired to do so yeah i've got all of i've got a big list of things that i would like to do on <laughs> guitar but i just don't you know, yes. i don't know what it is yeah yes yes get you also, because when you're at home, there's so many other things to do yeah. as well than to get out your guitar. But if I'm away from home and I have a guitar, I probably will play it. Or I might even like write some songs because, because it's like that space there for me to do it. But when I'm at home, I could be doing other things. Yeah. And they probably come first. Wow. I I never knew that for you guys. Because to me, it's... What I've observed is that even when, and I've said it before, like you saw Italy get struck down first within Europe um, with an outbreak and all of them came together on their balconies and they were singing together. And I thought that was quite a nice community type vibe. Same thing happened in Wuhan. You know, people were singing um, through their windows and just to stir up each other. And I thought, oh, this is like music's power. And I remember receiving a classic FM email to, to, you know, they showed clips of people in Italy singing, um, you know, famous songs together and just to rile each other up. And, and we've talked about it on the show, how like Ben really hates it, how, you know, clap for Thursdays uh, for the carers and NHS workers and people would be on the streets and perform for their neighbours. And, to me, I think that's wonderful because, you know, you are providing free entertainment, but yet Ben thinks it's, you know, why should you be subjecting your yeah. neighbours to this bad song? <laughs> yeah, you're not performing for your neighbours, you're performing for yourself, for, for your own satisfaction and, uh, but to yeah, me, and you're subjecting music... people to it. But to me, music is a form of, like, coming together, coming together in song. Mm, it is. And, like, you know people sing together in stadiums before when when they were playing sports and things like that and it is camaraderie you know it is mm -hmm. a togetherness through yes music yes yeah interestingly enough 
I missed that episode as well. But interestingly enough, there's uh, <laughs> there's this graduate of LST, London School of Theology, and she's a worship leader. Um, and she lives in Northwood and she started doing concerts, not on Thursday, <laughs> on Sundays. And she would sing random well-known songs and also some Christian songs here and there. And it really got the community spirit up and people started to know each other. And they actually started a, a Bible study group Wow! on her street because of actually, yeah, doing that in the first place. That's pretty and cool. That's, that's really cool. That's pretty cool. What do you say about that, Ben? I said that's pretty cool. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be subject to someone's music? I don't want. I don't want my neighbour to like blast nineteen fifties music at me. Like every, every it has week, to be good know? music, right? It has to be good. But music, music is subjective, yeah. is it not? Like you, we all have different preferences. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm still on the the side where. Music can bring people together. Of course, you know, I'm not going to be okay with satanic music or dodgy, questionable music. I would say, though, that music can be employed in bad ways as well. And on my course, we also talked a little bit about music and terror. Oh. And music used to interrogate people and actually blasting music really, really loud 24-7 just to put someone in a weird state so that you can interrogate them. Um, this happened after 9-11. So they're interrogation camps in the US and they would bring suspects there and wow. basically use music as terror. Torture. Torture. That's Is it? the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what type of music? I can't remember, but... I think like pop, Metallica, I think even right? pop... Even pop... <laughs> That's Club 7. <laughs> Even pop music as well. Really? So is that not a form of brainwashing then? Because the moment you start repeating something, either visuals stimulation or audio stimulation, things that cause your senses to be heightened repeatedly during your wakeful hours, surely that is brainwashing what would you be brainwashing someone who listening to s club seven with they're just like reaching up Reach climb every mountain higher i don't know if there's enough intellectual content there but if you just if you imagine something like that for the whole day or like for three days really really loud and you're in a room and it's dark completely dark and you're i don't know thrown onto the floor i guess you'd be sick then, of it even if it's talking about reaching for the stars yeah reach for the stars yeah you'd be sick of it um this uh, the, the academic is called suzanne kusick c-u-s-i-c-k and she wrote about music in the detention camps wow i never knew that really the interesting stuff like i guess music is very powerful in that that respects then it can really change your attitude because I used to have this Hello Kitty uh, alarm clock and it would play, it's a whole world, no, it's a small world after all. And so like nowadays when I hear that song, I have bad nightmares of like, oh my gosh, it's 6am, I need to wake up, otherwise I'm going to be late for school to catch the bus and I'm oh. going to get detention. <laughs> like I have, oh, no. because it's, that song is now ingrained into like, I have to wake up. And I hated mm. my Hello Kitty alarm clock. 
Because of the association. Because of the association to that song. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> wow. And it had to be that, that like, not the instrumental tune. It had to be the <laughs> the tacky Chinese, chimey <laughs> sound from an alarm clock. And what's bad is when the, al- the batteries were slowly dying and the tune, like, gets a bit funky. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Anyway, anyway, okay. We digress. We digress. Um, yes. I do want to say one thing about music, though. That most people know that music um, brings relief. And there's an example of this in the Bible. And there probably are quite a few. But in particular, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, where David would take up his lyre and play. And then relief would come on Saul and he would feel better. And the evil spirit would leave him. Yes. Well done for bringing it back to the Bible, Jesse. Like, yep. props to you. It's incredible how, like, we have to have our guests come on and bring us back to the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's no different from a normal show. Because I've always, I've always wondered about that little passage. Like, evil spirit. There was an evil spirit tormenting Saul. Does that mean, like, the lyres and the harps are therapeutic? Or is it just... <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I just got a bit excited. So there's this common thing, not common thing, but in the past, ah, Western missionaries would go to a country and say, oh, you can't play those instruments anymore. They're satanic or they're of the devil or rock music is devilish. You must play the organ. Oh. Well, some people might say that. I think. But I, I did some reading about this and actually you can't say that a musical instrument is satanic. Why? They're they're an object, aren't they? Isn't it down to the heart of the person who's playing it? Yeah, so have you heard of like um the idea that like certain rhythms are are satanic or you know, like their their base like so there's the, there's this theory a lot of hip hop music is based on tribal rhythms from Africa and and so mm-hmm. and and therefore you're letting in you're opening yourself up to spiritual attack because you are listening to this to these to these rhythms. I don't know, what do you think about that? I've never heard of that before actually. Um I mean there are some stuff about certain drum beats in in some rural areas in different countries, which bring people into trance. Like mm. if you play the certain drum yeah, yeah, beat, yeah. you play more, 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 more. And I read a book by a pastor in the Philippines, and he said that um, there was this certain, I think it's a musical style or drum beat, which would, it, I think it was invite evil spirits or invite mm. their kind of gods. And they actually did a work of redemption, like redeeming that musical style by praying over it. And actually, the people were really unsure. They're like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't do this because it will it will bring those evil spirits. But they prayed over it. They probably did more than pray over it. But what he wrote about was that they redeemed it for Christian worship. So they actually used those drum styles to worship the Christian God. And actually, the evil spirits didn't come. Oh, wow. Really amazing. Because that's something that I thought about before. Like when we're teaching people to use their indigenous musical styles and instruments for Christian worship, like what happens if that's actually associated with 
the worship of their gods. Yeah. Um, so definitely something I've, I've heard of, thought about before, but it's really cool to read that um, in the book. Yeah, that's cool. I guess the, the equivalent is like the tritone um, <laughs> interval in, in Western music, right? Mm-hmm. It's like meant to be like satanic and you weren't allowed to play it in, in Western music. And that's why that's why classical music has has what's the word i'm looking for i don't know perfect harmony or is that right phrase yeah consonant uh harmony. yeah or the yeah even people thought if you ended a um sacred song back in the day on a minor chord then that's also like devilish you can't do that so you, you had to even if it was a minor song you'd have to end on a major chord it's called tears de picardy and yeah, but then there are minor worship songs now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for lamenting. And we end on the minor. Yeah, so it's fine. Yeah, I think that's cool that, that actually music is, is, maybe not music itself, but yeah, the instruments are just a tool, right? And and so, mm. and I guess the, the music itself is just a tool and it's down to the composer as to what they're going to use that music for. Um. Yeah, I, I yeah. think we we can like we can over over spiritualize sometimes, and by saying, "Oh yeah, well you know this 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 rhythm or this this interval is um, inherently evil," whereas actually, like, no wait, if you think about what that song is about, if that song is about something that's that's unwholesome or evil or um, mm-hmm. or sinful then you don't, we don't need to spiritualize it because it's, it's like overtly stuff that we shouldn't be exposed to, you know? So like with hip hop music, there's Christian hip hop music. And I think that's, that's fine. And you can listen to that, but, but there's also hip hop music, which is about like promiscuity or like doing drugs and stuff. And like, maybe don't listen to that music. Like we don't need to make it all mystical. Like it's quite obvious that, that that's that kind that content is going to, I guess, like you said, Auntie, like almost like brain brainwashing, like the 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 content that we consume is going to affect us in a negative or a positive way. Mm-hmm. That's that's what, where the importance of lyrics comes in, as well. The power in the words, yeah, power in the words, and that's why we as Christians, like Paul says in the Bible, we have to guard every thought and take it captive and. Uh, you know be careful what you consume yeah so jesse can you tell us a bit about your own podcast then yes so i host a podcast called across culture across culture and i actually started this podcast because when i was doing my dissertation at uni last year for my master's i interviewed people and I actually really enjoyed hearing people talk and hearing people share, especially giving voice to people who don't really get that much chance to speak. Uh, so that's when I first thought, oh, doing a podcast would be such a great idea. And I thought a little bit about doing a podcast to do with Christian faith and the creative arts, because I didn't feel like there were many addressing that. But actually this year, because of so much of the uh, resurgence of Black Lives Matter as well. I thought actually just talking about the arts is a bit too niche. So my podcast talks about culture, identity, and the Christian faith, and you know the intersection between all of that. 
So we talk about race as well, and we definitely talk about different types of churches and different kind of cultures. So you can find my podcast on anchor.fm. That's where I'm hosting it. So anchor.fm. And also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and whatever other platform you like to use, it should be there. So it's called Across Culture. Awesome. It's great. Um, we've been listening to it. Thank you. I've I've been really enjoying it, actually. Um, each episode, there's a new different uh, theme. It's not like Jesse bickering with another human being, but it's yep. actually... <laughs> Um, you know, they treat each other like human beings and it's quite respectful. And I really enjoyed <laughs> some of those episodes, like hearing different people with different experiences, some that have lived overseas, some that deal with missionaries and dealing with conflict, some that are helping, you know, with um, the, the creative arts and encouraging writing music to promote anti-trafficking. I just think it's really wholesome, that show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much i'm gonna quote that <laughs> you know what's really cool about it is is actually just hearing uh, especially in this time when we can't connect with our with as many people in our churches in our local churches as as normal it's really cool hearing other christians in other walks of life sharing their their experiences of faith and reminding us that that we're not just trapped in this tiny little bubble absolutely yeah sure. and i i think what what it it helped me to remember that it's not just about my own little bubble or culture, my Chinese culture, but actually there's a lot of people out there that, um, out there in the world and they have a lot of interesting experiences that, you know, they want to share. So yeah, if you get a chance, listener, please listen to Jesse's um, podcast, Across Cultures. Across Culture. Across Culture. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Across culture. Nice. Nice. Thank you. Jesse, do you, th do you think, do you think that, that God has taught you anything in particular through your podcast? Or have you learned something in particular about, about God or about faith? That's the question that we ask at the end of our podcast. With my podcast, I have actually been quite surprised at how many people are willing to be interviewed actually and and the kind of feedback that I've been getting so far and that people are yeah they want to share the stories and which is exciting as long as it fits my theme <laughs> that's really exciting for me and also um, I really hope that more people would listen to it and more Christians especially white those who go to white majority churches um, so people get more of a sense of not just doing church the way that they've always done it, actually, but really remembering about how global Christianity is. So, yeah. And I'm definitely learning a lot about the technical side of doing podcasts as well. Awesome. That's really cool. What have you learnt? I think the more I listen to, to different voices, the more I realise that like we don't have a monopoly on on our understanding of of faith um like we it's important that we we talked about last week on our show um why it's important that we do agree about the gospel um 
but around that there's so much ecclesiology like the study of the church and there's so much other doctrine that um is you know applicable differently in different cultures or um it's not one size fits all uh, or it's agree to disagree which is my least favorite phrase um it's, my favorite it, one yeah it's um <laughs> it's actually it's actually quite arrogant for us to to walk around saying like oh yeah don't this don't look at look at that ministry because they don't they believe this and and that ministry believes this so watch out for them you know as as long as we do agree on the gospel which i think is the important thing um and listeners you can go back and listen to last week's uh to for us uh, explaining why um as long as we do agree on those the core facts that jesus died for our, our sins and um and there's nothing that we could have done otherwise to restore ourselves with god then actually like we need to be listening to these other voices and these other um experiences of faith uh because otherwise we just end up in this tiny little box yeah uh, so that's what i've learned yep thank you definitely uh, yes but thank you so much jesse for coming on our show i think something that you said earlier in the show really highlighted to me that um yeah just to make the most of this lockdown worship time um and to experiment more with worshiping god in a different setting and and when we do come back corporate for corporate worship to to implement those you know the private worship elements and i think that's really good actually hmm. uh, one more question though jesse can you recommend us a book <laughs> i see what you're doing there ben you're taking you know from yeah. jesse's podcast show because she likes to put people on the spot and be like yeah what what book recommendations have you got for the listeners <laughs> I'm on the spot now. Right. <laughs> this is how it feels. Well, I would like to recommend a book that I read recently called The Next Worship. Oh. The Next Worship. It's by Sandra. Sa what's her name? <laughs> Sandra Maria Van Opstel. And we didn't talk about this much, but she talks about multicultural worship. Wow. Okay. Um, but the beginning, yeah, it talks about some of the basics of worship as well. So the next worship, multicultural worship. I'm I'm hoping to have an episode about that in series two. So tune into my <laughs> podcast if you want to hear more. Cool, cool, cool. Cool. We'll check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes, guys. Thank you, Auntie and Ben, for having me on AB side. It's been a pleasure to be in this episode and I can't wait to invite you onto my podcast as well, Across Culture. Hey, Across Culture. Yeah, check it out. We would love to be on. We've got lots of opinions, as you as you might have heard from our <laughs> previous episodes. Ben has a lot of opinions. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jesse. We've loved having you on our show. If you have any feedback or if you have any more questions, keep them coming. We, we would love to hear from you guys. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Hey, Ansi, click on this link. Okay, what is it? Ah! It is this song. Ah, switch it off. Switch it off. Oh, that really, like, 
traumatized me, Ben. Thanks. Ugh.